You're tuned in to the Curated by Podcast. Welcome to the Curated by Podcast. My name is Rick and today I'm going to be talking to Thijs. It's a, a Wednesday sunny morning in the Netherlands. Thijs is in Groningen. I'm yes. in the deep south of the Netherlands, uh, Bergen of so. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, everybody knows Thijs. He's one of the three members of Noisia. They don't need an introduction, but they've conquered the drama base scene since 2003. And last year they had a big farewell year with an album and a tour. And now it's time for something new. And this podcast is about the future. We will get to know Thijs. Uh, about his future plans and the kind of music he, he produces at the moment and in the future. But before we go into depth, uh, we would like to start by asking you 10 quick fire questions, which you have to answer with the first thing that pops up in your mind. Feel free to oh, elaborate, dear. yeah, answer as quickly as you can. Okay. Number one, best DJ set you have ever played? Oh. Uh, I don't know. For now, I would say at Lowlands, uh, the last the last Noja show at Lowlands was it was so fantastic. But that's more to do with emotions and and people, like the amount of people we had uh, on stage with us. Uh, more to do with that than technically DJing, also, but also technically DJing, it was what I really like, like we showed so many angles, we played our old stuff, but we also played some Highland Rapper songs, we played uh, collaborations while the collaborators were actually, were actually on stage with us, it's, and uh, yeah, for me, for me, like DJ sets are, are, the most important thing is that I feel like connected to people that I can see what whether it's the crowd or people in the booth with me that I feel that you know the enthusiasm which is why I generally don't like playing huge stages because the first people you see are like sometimes up to 20 meters away if you're on a really high stage and it just sucks there's no connection but then if the booth like if the booth is full of people then you, you you can still hear them and feel them around you maybe they slap you on the shoulder if if you play like a sick tune um but yeah i mean some of the best dj sets were in like really grotty uh, holes in england but just like there are other people from the scene in the booth and and they will they they will, like if you play a tune that they like too much they will step up and rewind it for you and stuff like that i love it i love it when that happens but yeah i would go with uh, the no, last noja show uh, lowlands yeah okay uh, second question biggest challenge during 20 years of noisia the biggest challenge uh i would say the biggest challenge was towards the end to try to stay together and uh, I think even though we decided not to I think we really kind of really grew in that process and we really like the way we we uh, decided to resolve it was uh, fortunate I mean COVID funnily, fun, funnily COVID helped us by delaying everything all our plans uh covid put a stop to all, all our plans 
So that gave us that bought us more time to uh, to write a third album, to uh, have some more time in between the the period where we were arguing like uh, about different uh, outcomes we were wishing for uh, to stay together, and then when we decided like oh shit maybe it is better for us to go uh, creatively artistically uh, separate paths, there was still a bit of the emotion of the argument of each of us trying to win like no I want it this way I want it that way um, and after uh, the COVID uh, pause most of that you know uh, resentment was gone and there was just like relief and and a lot of like I don't know proud feelings of, of all the things we did achieve and then uh, yeah then then all of a sudden we felt good enough to write a third album and uh and and we got more emotional breathing space to really enjoy the final part of the tour that i'm really grateful for that so the break really helped you yes yes um third question biggest musical inspiration uh i'm this is this is impossible. I I, I would say change <laughs> as like a way to avoid avoid the answer because I'm I'm really like I go in cycles. I can be completely obsessed about club music where where I'm right now the the part of the cycle or the cycle that I'm in right now. I'm I'm writing club music like a maniac, like sometimes up to two songs a day. Uh, lately, and I'm 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 watching myself from from a distance, where I'm like, what? What what's going on, Thais? Are you okay? <laughs> um, but before I was like, only listening to like 20th uh, century, 21st century classical music, and also like really trying to understand like if I if I do projects here, what is my personal language? What what how how would I write, and what do I write, and 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 trying things and writing things. Um, so I have cycles where I just obsessively listen to and make uh, uh, one one thing, and then a bit later uh, it's completely different. And for for the longest time, I try to like redirect those cycles. It's like, yeah, but all that classical music bullshit is like, you know, your job is to be a DJ and producer, so focus on that. And I've let. I've completely let that go. I'm not resisting the cycles anymore. So, which is really hard for management and for for me to build a clear artistic profile if I keep on changing every few years to do completely different projects. But it is what it is. Like I have to acknowledge that that the changes is actually what makes me uh, inspired. Thanks. Um... Number four, oddest thing to ever happen during a set. Um, I guess one time that I was in San Diego. This is really early noisier days. This is like I would think somewhere 2008, 2007. I was in San Diego, and and the mosh pit was so wild that. Um, they were bumping into the booth and, and I was still playing with CDs and some of the CDs fell off the booth so I was kind of crouching down into the booth to, to pick up the CDs 
And then I, one of them went in between like the stage parts. So I really had to reach down. So I was on my knees trying to grab the CD and then the whole, the whole booth came, uh, fell over me, not, not on me because I was crouching. It fell over me, everything, all the equipment, the whole table. Because, yeah, because the crowd was like, uh, was so rowdy that, uh, I don't know. And I was like, yes, <laughs> I mean, I didn't get hurt. This is amazing. I really, yeah, I really enjoyed that show. Bless everybody that was there. That was yeah. good. Where was it, the Witch Club? I don't remember. This is 2008. San Diego, okay. San Diego, yes. Uh, what has it's also been... the only oh, time I played yeah. in San Diego that. It was the only time I played in San Diego. And it was the okay. first time I actually had, had a really good burrito. Where I'm like, ah... Oh, so this is why people like Mexican food. Shit, I've been lied to all my life, you know, with with the kind of Mexican food that that you get in places like Groningen and Amsterdam. Probably by now, I know now like a really nice uh, Mexican restaurant in Groningen actually, but yeah, you know, the fifteen name years of the ago, uh, Eleven Once, which is the the street address. It's Oosterstraat Eleven. Um, and answer is just 11 in Spanish. Uh, okay. And number six, what's the best place to get drunk in Groningen? Um, my favorite place is Nightclub Oost. Club Oost? Yes. And, and what kind of club is it? Uh, it's a it's a relatively medium sized club with a small upper room, and um, the people that run it uh, have uh, have a great sense of like how to how to curate an environment where people can uh, enjoy music in a in a kind of safe feeling feeling safe, um, which is more a mental thing than a physical thing. And and their programming is great. Like their programming programmer just has good music taste. And uh, yeah, last time I sent him uh, like, oh, you should you should book book her. He's like, yeah, she's on. Wait, uh, yeah, in three weeks. <laughs> it's like, oh, sick. <laughs> okay, I'm there. Which is uh, which is upcoming. It's this Friday on the 17th of March. Okay, so when in Groningen, go to Club Oost. Um, yeah. What's the weirdest post you have shared on Twitter? Oh Jesus! I have so many weird tweets. Like, no, that is impossible. <laughs> I'm I'm very very active on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, I would. I really wonder if I go all the way back to. I think it was recently my ninth birthday on Twitter. But what it would be like nine years ago? What I was talking about? I'm really interested. I really found Twitter as a way to. Uh, express certain needs that I have to to uh, think about big things and then and kind of express them w with other people that also have opinions about these things and then kind of reflect on them and sometimes get corrected because my my takes are wrong and sometimes hearing that people uh, uh, really kind of like appreciate someone like me posting these thoughts like in public as a musician especially not because they wouldn't go and kind of 
subscribe to a newsletter of a of of a political commentator or a philosopher, but because a musician that they, whose music they like um, posts about music, but then also about other stuff. Yeah, some people enjoy it, some don't, and yeah. Yeah, there are people that can't handle it. What you post? No, they're like stay in your lane, just just promote your music. And I was like, oh my god, that's the most <laughs> boring life I can imagine. Nope. <laughs> Um, Number 8 Who is the biggest talent in music at the moment? Um, I would say Nicky Nair Okay Uh, Why? I think in America people are, are widely recognizing him already But in Europe he's still Like he gets bookings and he's proving every time, like every time I write, I read uh, like commentary about pe- from people who went to his shows, like man, he's actually also a really good DJ, but his, pro- his take on production is super fresh. It's really refreshing. Um, uh, it's very intuitive. He works very quickly. He doesn't overthink. He doesn't really go back to, to perfect things that were really already good. He, he he's just like no I don't do that I just I just put it out uh, and then uh, on the next one if there was a lesson to be learned I learned the lesson and I take that into the next song uh, and yeah me and him like we t- we tried a few online co- collaborations and it was like wow this was incredibly smooth and then in September or October he was here for a bit and we wrote some more music so we have a lot of uh, music uh, coming out besides the two collaborations that are on the, the EP that I'm releasing which this podcast is kind of like f- around the show that we're doing and that show is kind of like my unofficial EP release because the show is a day after uh, my EP release so your EP will be released on the 30th of March and, yes uh, but we get into that later in the podcast um Number nine, best rave ever visited. Uh, I'm always so bad with these like a top top one or top three or top five. I just I just black out and just like I just see a mush of like all these great raves that I've been to and then it's like how to pick one and also None of them individually come up anymore, like what, un- <laughs> under the pressure of these questions. Well, Best maybe, rave Maybe the ever. first one, your first rave? I will say, I was talking to uh, a friend who, is, who joined uh, a really cool collective here in Groningen, uh, Ongehoord. They've been programming really, really cool music in Simplon. Actually, they brought uh, Nicky Nair to town as well. Um, and a friend of mine just uh, joined this collective and I asked her, like, were, were you there when Addison Groove played uh, uh, On Gehoord? Be- and then I remembered how much I, I enjoyed uh, Tony's set that night. Um, so yeah, I, that's the thing because I was just recently discussing, but I danced the whole way through and I don't generally dance. I, I, like, I like my position of standing on the side with a drink and feeling like still in tune with everyone else that wants to dance but that's not like how i generally express myself but that night i was really like 
yeah, I was unleashed in a bit, uh, in a, in a in a way. So I don't know. It's definitely not the sickest rave I've been to, but it is what is the first thing that now comes to me because I just just remembered it in another conversation. And when was this? Uh, it would have been like three, four years ago, three years ago. Just before COVID, I would think. I don't know. I could check, but it's it's not really relevant. I think. Uh, final question: Who have you always wanted to do a release with, but never succeeded? Um. There's multiple. Uh, from way back in the day, we we have one or two songs with Calix, uh, a drum and bass producer that we really, really loved and then became actually good friends with. And we tried writing some tunes together, but I don't think any of them ever came out. Or did they? Am I lying? No, I think none of them came out. But anyway, for years we had some sketches, but we were both like, yeah, but... And we were also pressuring ourselves too much because we wanted to like out Noisia Noisia and out Calix Calix on the same record, which is not a like healthy, healthy ambition, ambition to start writing a record. Like you just, I don't know, with a collaboration, you just, you should just mess around and see, see what happens and, and just appreciate any outcome. But we were really pushing for like, the biggest, most epic song ever, and it totally missed the mark. Um, that was a, definitely a lesson we we have learned now. That when you when you get in the studio with time pressure, you just you you just do whatever happens, and you don't think like, yeah, but this is not, you know, the epic thing we wanted. It's like it doesn't work that way. You just do whatever and have fun, and then if it doesn't work, cool, plan another session. Um, is there something somebody more recent no that there are some people but I'm like yeah but it's for me it feels like a lot of dream collaborations are around the corner which is a great feeling it's like, yeah, I just need to make a couple more things and then uh, kind of run into someone that knows them or run into them directly and then just suggest it and then it might happen or it might not, but I don't know. You have not, nobody in mind you would like to do something with? Yeah, but I, I have a feeling that I will. So it's not yeah. like, oh, I haven't done it yet. Uh, like that never worked out I mean the thing with Calyx was really like yeah that never worked out but uh, there's some there are definitely uh, singers that I would like to work with but with them I'm like yeah it's just a matter of time before I will and and you're playing back to back with uh, Scream on uh, in April in Groningen have you done something yeah. with him in the past we played back to back we were booked uh, in Toulouse uh, uh, on a night together uh, me already as Thais and uh, he got in touch he's like yeah we're playing I'm playing after you should we go back to back I was like sure love it 
Um, so I played for one hour solo, then we want, then we were booked to do one hour back to back, and then he had one hour solo. But we are having so much fun back to back that he was just like, okay, let's do the my hour back to back as well. So we played two hours back to back then. Uh, after I'd already played my own set, so a lot of songs that that I would have played back to back, I already played, but. Um, And now we're doing it again, so it's a bit more like, oh, I know, I know what to save for the end, you know. Whereas I had already played those things uh, largely in in the solo set uh, uh, last time in France. And then, yeah, we we we're planning to do some studio time around that. He's planning to uh, because he has a show in Rotterdam the day before or something. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, he's gonna book his flight so that he gets a couple of days in Groningen and uh, we get to get to make some tunes together. I'm cool. really excited about that. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for your answers. Um, yeah, we've uh, asked you to select some uh, tunes that describe you as a producer. But before we will listen to the, the tunes, uh, can you explain who Thijs is? Um, I mean. Thijs, for me, is is a super, right now, super liberating uh, project. For the time being, I'm I'm not going to separate into like genre n- names for different things. So if I write a, 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 a classical piece, I will also release that as Thijs. But currently I'm just writing a lot of club music. But it's really a reflection of, of whatever i'm into at the moment uh, which is super liberating because yeah i'm i'm now solo so i don't have to convince anybody i don't have to argue with anybody that whatever is the new thing that i'm into is the right thing for everybody to do it's like i could i can just decide like no it is time for me to start uh, doing this other thing and uh, it'll be a challenge to convince some of the audience that aren't into this yet uh, that this is what they need to be listening to but I take that challenge so how does your crowd and your fans respond to the music you make because it's very diverse it's not like one genre it's not drum and bass anymore so yeah yeah I don't know like people that come to DJ sets they are there I don't play classical music like that's 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 really not the point so there i give my take on on club music and i love to play other people's tunes as well but yeah looking at how how much tunes i've written recently i really think like march 31 i only have one hour i yeah for tie sets i hate one hour it's way too short like i i would i would say two hours is is minimum 90 minutes is already like for the kind of ground that I want to cover, like 90 minutes is is already kind of pushing that I have to rush through things. And 60 minutes is just like, wow, that is like 50% of the time I want. But I, because of that, I can only do like 25%. So I, so I think I'll just pick up, pick up the most like intense parts and leave out the more, the deep and the, and the slower parts because of the build of the night probably and, and the audience expectations but I would love to have a, a way longer 
time so I can I can really slow things down and take people down with me and then back up. Then if you take them back up after they've been down, it's it, the upness is so much more cool than if it's been up the whole time. You know, people get kind of exhausted and a bit uh, overstimulated and a bit spoiled with uh, energy expectations. And if you kind of downplay it for like longer than 30 seconds, which is, you know, there's there's micro uh, a structure where you do a breakdown and then a build and a drop, but there's also a macro structure where you can see half an hour in your set as like a very long breakdown where you get everyone to go get a drink, get a smoke, come back in, have new energy, they come back in, the music is still kind of low and everybody knows. We're only we're only one hour in, he's taking it down, we're going back up. And that expectation will be filled within the next 30 minutes, but I don't know when. Whereas no, normally when the, when the track drops into a break, breakdown, you kind of expect like within 30 seconds, I will get my all my receptors, you know, all my stimulants will hit. And if you know like, oh, it's going to be a bit longer. And then when it comes, that's so much better, like the satisfaction. Uh, which yeah, so that's something I can't do in a in a in a one hour set. So do you but then, will you adjust your sets to the person playing before and after you? Or you just do your yes. own thing. Yes, no, I I I I want to prepare this set, but I, the more I think about it, is like yeah, but if I prepare a set and then it's the 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 vibe in the club at the moment I start is different than what I'm now imagining, then the whole set is off. So I have to prepare uh, I, I w like this is the first time in a long time that I actually want to start practicing with the material that I have also to have a reflection on the material like when I actually mix this in as a DJ how do, how do my new uh, tunes work but I think I need about two hours uh, of quality like enough tunes to do a two-hour set so that in the moment I can select like oh no I should do I should do this or I should do that and then all yeah I like to sometimes have combo mixes where I'm like oh but this song if I play that then it mixes so nicely into the next one that those two are will be like one song for me so that's also like some new work I, I want to uh, figure out some new combinations uh, for this set. So in, in the past 20 years you got mainly booked by drum and bass promoters? What kind of promoters yeah. or parties yeah. book you at the moment or in the future? What yeah. Yeah I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> that's 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 a fun challenge. Uh so yeah, that, I mean, yeah, that's one thing the, pro the promoters, but also the crowd for Noisia. We had such a long kind of building of momentum that that people really knew who we are, and so they really know what to expect. Even if they know that I'm coming, they know that, that they can affect expect like a, a Thais style Noisia set. Um, so then, from that. I, d I didn't have to read the room ever as Noisia because most uh, towards the end, you know, is <laughs> like Noisia was the room, right? Yeah. So all those people came there for Noisia, so I, I knew exactly what they were expecting and how to 
defy their expectations and then meet them and defy them again, go against it, go with it. But with these tie sets, I'm really like, I don't know what the crowd wants. I don't, and it's cool. It, and it, it, it's, it brings you back to the actual uh, craft and technique of DJing. I was like reading the room, figuring out what works because you don't know these people. And whereas producer DJing or like festival slash uh, big show DJing, when people come to you for a name, uh, they have expectations, which makes it a lot easier because you know what they expect so you know how to uh, please them but it's also it's also more boring because um, you kind of already know that you have to do what they want and sometimes if you are not in the mood that's not the the, the most fun thing and I so, yeah the imp the improvising the not knowing in before like I don't even know which which with which tune I'm starting I've just like what I will do probably is like pick like four potential starts to the set. Yeah, but what genre? Uh, do you do you do you like focus on on what's yeah? I what play genre? like I play like I don't know that there isn't really a genre name for it, but there's this kind of new mashup of UK all the UK um genres, like bass genres, but then with like a, a sort of minimal kind of distorted techno at like around 134 135 140 bpm so it's quite fast for tech notes uh 4-4 um yeah nikki nair makes it a lot uh, and chloe robinson and dj dj adhd i play a lot of their songs uh a lot of breakbeats but then yeah this weird like new style of breakbeat that is that is happening um, and then I go, I play a bunch of like weird, well, no, no, they're not weird. For me, they're a bit, uh, new because this is a, a label, like f relatively unknown label from Argentina that I bought a few records on and, and they're all like Argentinian producers and the sounds, their concept of, of rhythm is so exciting to me. Um, so I play some of that and then go the into of, 150s. What's the name of the label? I think it is AGVA. And I think AG, yeah, AG is Ar Argentina and VA is various artists. I think AGVA, okay. they have a bunch of songs that, that are that are sometimes in my sets because, yeah, I, I don't always play the same set. Um, but yeah, and then I tend to end my sets at one sec 160 BPM. So this brand new drop remix that I did, and then a, a bunch of like high energy and a bunch of more vibey songs at that tempo that I uh, that I really, really, really like. So between, I would say generally between 130 and one, 160 BPM is 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 are the uh, confines of my set. I think I will play more 170 later on but for now i really like the challenge of trying to match the energy of a noisia set without playing anything faster than 160 which i'm i'm not ma like i'm not matching the energy of a noisia set but you know that's my challenge is like i want to get that energy um but then yeah also for a more 
diverse crowd because I think the what the a lot of the 170 crowds I played for, like the drum and bass crowds, it was mostly like boys. <laughs> and and the older I get, the less, the more distance I get from myself as a boy, because I, I can really relate to them as in my past self. But now I'm like, I'm an older man, I'm, I'm 40. And I, yeah, I, I don't identify with those crowds anymore. And I think that that really uh, became apparent also in the later days of Noisia where I just started doing different stuff because in the end, I didn't really want uh, to be in front of crowds that were constituted like that. It's like, where are all the people of color where are all my gay friends why don't they come to these shows where are all the girls you know why is it just boys why does the the room always smell like uh uh like a, a high school dressing room you know like a high school uh uh physical education dressing room a boys dressing room so yeah that and then going to this host club and, and seeing like the different crowds that come up to uh, uh, different genres is like yeah and then the cool thing is sometimes some of the DJs would play some some of the DJs would play some drum and bass but not at like a drum and bass set and definitely not a drum and bass evening but some tunes toward the end of their set and then you got the same reaction but then from a from a from a crowd where I'm like but this is cool you know this is what I want I want to get that reaction but then from people who, who, who don't need to be blasted with that energy for five hours straight but then that are so susceptible to the same energy as like a highlight as a peak moment in my sets yeah <clears throat> for us it was an eye opener we did curated by Emanu and it was a entire night was we normally do drum and bass, but that night was multi-genre, was very inclusive and it was a good crowd who who liked everything from house to techno to hip-hop to bass to dubstep drum and bass. And that's what yeah. I like and that's what I hope we can achieve on the 31st of March because we have a special lineup. Um, yeah. And I'm really curious how this night will work on the dance floor. Um, but we'll see. Well, uh, we, we have we have only DJ. Everyone there is like a very accomplished but upcoming and super talented uh, uh, DJ, and uh, most of them are producers too. Um, so I think that it will be great. And I'm really ha I'm I'm really happy to see like the curated by Imanu being programmed uh, it, like the way it was, and also the, the the this lineup for the Vision Night and the lineup for the Vision Night in Groningen. I'm like, yes, you know, mix it up, you know. Yeah. We don't we don't like drum and bass is amazing, but it it can coexist in in a context with other genres, and actually it should. Because then, for me, drum and bass only gets better if it's mixed up. When it's the highlight of the of the evening, energy-wise, and if you have a full drum and bass program, like you just get used to it, and it doesn't it doesn't affect you as much anymore. Whereas, if you're really enjoying like some slower music, 
um, and then drum and bass comes on, you're like, yes, that and yeah, that energy. That's that's what I that's what I love. Um, about your label, you've started your uh, your own label, eccentric uh, circle. 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 Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what's the message you want to convey with the releases you will put out through this imprint? Um, right now, um, I'm taking a small break from putting stuff out on the label because the, the, of this EP I've got coming on Vision. Um, the first release, I think for me, was was quite... quite uh, clear it's like there there's one song that is at 160 bpm and it really has like drum and bass break beats basically and it's really uh obviously um club music but then in a kind of atmospheric cinematic world that specific song but but uh, the last song is just me playing on the piano uh, on a very moody hungover day and i recorded myself playing the piano and then later heard it back it's like wow i was really on fire that was wow i should release that and then years later i i put it out so this label is really like yeah anything goes whatever i feel like uh, in the, whatever cycle i'm in um uh, it it this can be on on this label um, but then lately it's been the clubby stuff, the Doom Timeline TM and the Puma Rhythm. Um, because, yeah, I'm really back into club mode. So I think in the near future it will be probably mostly that. Club music and just singles uh, after my uh, EP on Vision. But we'll see. You never know. I, I, have, I have at least two more concept albums that will happen at some point uh, and they might be um, they're, they're totally not club music and they might be in uh, on, on my own label I don't know but that's what the label is for like I can always put it out on my own label so will you invite other artists to release on the label or just only for your own production? Right, right now I do not love the pressure and the response responsibility of releasing someone else's music while while at the same time releasing someone else's music doesn't necessarily make me a lot of money but I do feel really responsible for for the success of the release whereas if I put my own stuff out and I just you know throw it on on Bandcamp and Spotify and you know do some social media posting uh, and let the the music tell its own story and let the quality of the music kind of determine whether the re release is successful. I'm okay with that. If it then doesn't reach everybody immediately, I'm still like, yeah, but it'll be on my profile for years to come. And it'll be part of my public uh, history, like the, my public story. Uh, but for other people, I feel pressure like, yeah, but if I release one of your songs, I, I really believe in it, but then I want that full potential to show in a couple of weeks and it's just, oh, I can't like doing all of that by myself I would I would need a label manager but then I like where's the money for that like how, how, how do I how do I break even on a release if I need to pay people for the release so that's the reason I'm not doing it right now yeah so just basically so you, you've got vision for that as a label with label manager and releases from other artists yeah I, I co-own vision recordings 
and right now I I prefer just being an artist on the roster. I I used to be the main A uh, and R, but currently uh, Nick Nick is doing most of that work, and and it's Yap and Feep uh, running the actual label. And right now I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm an artist on the label, and also a co-owner. But uh, I don't make a lot of. Uh, uh, decisions like creative decisions i do talk to them a lot like oh you should book this person oh you should approach them for a release but then i'm not making decisions anymore and i'm not doing the uh helping the artists develop their music anymore that's uh because yeah that's also part of these cycles sometimes i'm really inspired by something else and then trying to still think from the perspective of the label that should be uh, continuous and constant and like focused on bass music for me was really hard and I wanted to sign like weird weird like experimental classical music and of course it's not that's not Vision's job and we kind of tried this with Division uh, for a while which was a very cool uh, experience and we released some great music but in the end we had to decide like some of these releases were fucking cool and I'm really happy we did them but from the from the music's perspective they could have been maybe it would have been better for for this album or for this EP or for this release to be on another label because we were always in the end pushing it to a noisier audience even all the division and invisible stuff that I was very passionate about and I was was helping these people write it and I, I approached them to sign it to whatever label vision or division or invisible and then I helped them write it but I wanted to be things to be weirder and weirder and it just wasn't it just I just had to admit like this is not where the our actual momentum is so I took a step back and um, uh, yeah focused more on my own stuff as uh, a composer and, and producer when it comes to weird, weird things just do them instead of signing them um, yeah and now I have my own label just to do low profile stuff or I can hire a press agent if I want to but I haven't done that so far so just, no pressure yeah yeah it's it's beautiful it's and then just yeah just be happy with the audience that you can reach just from your own social media and stuff and then whatever comes extra is uh, is just extra okay um let's start uh with listening to some tunes uh first off we've got three three tunes from your new ep shoulder to shoulder and let's start with the first uh, one uh, named, uh, it's a collaboration with uh, Two Fingers, uh, Amon Tobin, and it's called Hodo. Yeah, this, this song was released in November already and I already knew it was part of the EP but uh, we kind of like, kind of didn't make that public knowledge uh, yet. Uh, working on lots of cool releases uh, for later, uh, remixes. We've got a big uh, 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 like remix release coming up later of this song. It was very cool to write, it came, it came together very quickly. Um, 
we were just messing around. A lot of our songs together is is just collaging sounds that we'd already made like separately. But this one was really like this, the main riff. We just wrote it on his modular together. And then we both realized like, okay, and that's it. Like this just needs a kick drum, which for Amon was a bit new to do like such a kind of like Berghain techno thing. But I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to make this anything else than what it is. It just needs one intro sound and then a big kick drum and some slight percussion and some filtering to to help it developing. But I want it to be almost boring. I want it to be under stimulating, so it's really hypnotizing. Uh, because if if you put too much changes in a thing, you lo- you lose the hypnosis. Like you you you, you start programming expectations for more changes whereas if you hardly change a thing then if people don't lose interest they become kind of like hypnotized and you you enter uh, a, a different state of uh, expectations like more like like just in a tunnel of music and that's that's how we um, kind of arranged this song to be on the borderline of boring, but then never boring. So un- slightly understimulating. Okay. Um, let's, let's check the second one. It's called a Breakthrough, and it's a production together with Nicky Hare. Uh, Nicky Nair. Re- uh, Nicky, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but he does have great, he does have great hair. A lot of hair. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, let's listen to the tune. Nicky Hare. Okay. Um, yeah, can you tell something about this really garage two step feel? Yeah, it's like breakbeat yeah. UKG two step. Yeah. Um, this was the second song that we wrote together. The first one is still unreleased. Um, I think it just got signed to a very exciting label. I'm super excited about that, but I don't know if that's official yet. Um, the second one, yeah, these 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 are both online collaborations. Um, this is actually started from a loop that might be also released as Noisia on way in the early days of uh, when it was still Noisia Radio before Vision Radio. Um, we would always in every episode include one little sketch that we never finished Uh, but just something cool some of them were drum and bass some of them were really just like freeform sound and one one of them was called Jesus I forgot the name but I think the starting point of this set was a loop that I started for Noisia and that was included in this old uh, old shit we never finished package. But then later I took it. It's like, yeah, but I still want to do something with this. And then I started writing something around it and I sent that to Nikki. And then he sent me back this whole groove uh, with a different bass line. But the whole drums, uh, the whole idea of the feel of the track, uh, he, he just put that on there and then... I started writing this bass line on it and I sent it back and he loved it and we were like, okay, cool. 
now now it's going to be easy like okay we're both we both like the main elements now it's just a matter of uh, just arranging it and that was very it was I was very impressed about the these first two songs how easy it was to uh, collaborate online with him we were both very quick on the turnaround and just yeah generally just really instantly impressed and in love with uh, what the other person had associated with what was previously there but how does it work yeah. you send, send something back and forth and you make yeah I, you first you send usually like just the mix of what you've done to ask for like hey do you like this and then okay shall I send it back in pieces and then you just send the drums and the bass and, and all the elements separately so that they can uh they can keep working on them but usually you first send just you know an mp3 of the whole thing just to get an idea if uh, if you're both on the same page okay um and listen and we're gonna listen to the final track of your ep that's called dissolve Yeah, dissolve as in kind of the feeling this whole club show the the whole EP shoulder to shoulder is like it's like a love letter on a different level to club music. Uh especially through covid withdrawal of club culture like all the clubs were shut and we couldn't go to the clubs and we we were all missing that in our lives. And for me the club had been you know where i made my money for for a good 15 years and where which was the most visible and also most stressful and also most fun part of um my my life uh, my noisia life but because of all these things because because of this the performance anxiety the stress of it because of i've like i had i have to travel to go to these clubs whereas normal people they just you know they meet with them friends before have a few drinks and go to the club it's a really social thing for them for me it's like i had to fly and i was really like uh also always wearing the producer hat like you know playing my new songs testing them out uh checking out the 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 um reactions of of, of all the songs it was really like a lot of it my experience as a dj was still from like a producer slash composer uh a point of view and then when i couldn't go to the club for a while i was starting to feel things missing certain more emotional psychological or maybe almost spiritual things of the club which i wasn't aware of that all those years that i wasn't paying attention to it actually being in those clubs almost every weekend was also fulfilling certain psychological needs like to be in a group and to feel like i am where i belong um and everyone here is here for the same reason we're all focused on the same thing which is the music um we're all here to have a good time there's this like un un unwritten rules uh, and it's a sense of belonging in a way that 
if if a DJ night goes well, that's actually what you give to people. It's not just music. You give a sense of community with with mostly strangers, but that's really beside the point because they're not strangers when you have these unwritten rules that you all respect. Then you then you you have a shared tradition which is let's call it club culture. And within that tradition you expect everyone to follow the rules and then if everyone follows those rules you can feel safe uh, surrounded by strangers in a very dark room but you know everyone is there to be nice to each other leave each other alone a bit unless there's a mosh pit uh, and just enjoy the music together and I yeah as I said I was always figured uh, focused on other things like the the, the, the production production the composition part of music and not so much on this let's say spiritual element of uh, the togetherness part of, of club music club culture and then when COVID took it away I started thinking about it more also reading about it more and I was like yeah actually I wasn't aware of it but I totally experienced this it totally filled those needs for me too I just wasn't aware of it because I was in my brain focused on other things but my like my 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 physical psychological uh, intuitive self was actually really happy with all these clubs that I that I went to and the person that I could be uh, in those rooms so after COVID, I realized, and then when I realized, like I was feeling the urge to have fun with club music again, I wrote the CP, and then yeah, shoulder to shoulders, basically. And I think the artwork tells the whole story. It's just like people in a room, bright lights, loud music, um, and just feeling like together and safe. Now, does this all fit in the? Uh, it's the dissolving into dissolving into the crowd. Uh, dissolving in the cloud. Okay. And, and uh, yeah, just like for me, for a lot of people, it's dancing. For me, it's usually just you know standing, shaking my head, uh, nodding my head, and uh, just feeling like it's so good to be here. You know, it's so good to be here. This is where I want to be. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, next. Tune is DJ ADHD, Chloe Robertson, Nikki Nair, get in a bin. Yeah, can you tell us more about why you like this uh, pounding house techno tune? Yeah, this is the, the UK the UK techno bass. I really love this amalgamation of styles. Um, I first heard Chloe Robinson and ADHD's music when Sonny Skrillex played it on his phone from a SoundCloud link that he got from Fortet. That Fortet got from somebody else and Fortet really liked it and started playing this music in his sets and then showed it to Skrillex and Skrillex showed it to me. I was like, yo, this is sick. This this kind of techno, this is what I would want to write. Not like the German. I love that tunnel-y techno. I think for me, Hodo is really like the German style. But uh, this song, Get In The Bin, and also uh, Sun, 
my collaboration with Nicky Nair and ADHD on, on my record. Uh, it's this other more UK style of techno that's a bit more fun, a bit more, a lot more funky as well, and a bit more nasty in the sound design. Like the kicks are more distorted, uh, the the bass lines are more grimy and stuff. Yeah, I just really, really like this stuff. Uh, and uh, is there a link with the next one? You can answer that uh, uh, after we play a snippet of uh, your own tune, Doom Timeline. It's still uh, free to download on your Bandcamp. It's Doom Timeline TM. Um, and uh, it goes like this. Yeah, this is, I mean, hmm, I would say this is more like a very distorted version of Miami Electro. But then, yeah, Nicky Nair really like is 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 the, because Nicky Nair writes a lot of like Electro, like not Electro, like Boys Noise, Justice, uh, that era of r- r- Electro, but Electro like the, the 80s Miami, uh, slash Detroit Electro, the American Electro, the B-Boy stuff. Um, Nicky Nair writes a lot of that. I also write a lot of that. And um, actually funny, the first Nicky Nair song that I really liked was like an Electro-like song called The Analyst, which later I found out was on Chloe Robinson's label, uh, Pretty Weird, um, which I didn't know back then. And then later I was like, okay, so she was already into Nicky Nair miles like years before uh, I no not years it was it was about the same time that I found her music through Skrillex that I found Nicky Nair on Addison Groove's uh, streams during COVID uh, from the Barrel Room which was another like really important part of me dis- uh, rediscovering like all the the new cool kinds of club music that were out there because Addison Groove was just like he's such a uh, a, a dub hunter like a crate digger so he, he always finds like the the craziest new stuff um, did I did I just start mid-sentence on a new topic and then <laughs> not finish what the original yeah I'm a bit uh, I'm yeah a bit we were talking about, uh, about your tune it's really electro style but yeah, uh, uh, maybe go to the next one because if you talk about Detroit Electro, uh, Puma Rhythm together with two fingers is really a Detroit kind of Electro. Yeah, definitely, definitely that same kind of uh, the, the 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 American Miami Electro uh, thing. But then, yeah, definitely also the has the the ties and two fingers kind of dark, uh, dark approach to it. Uh, yeah, definitely a continuum with the with the Nicky Nair uh, stuff. It's all it's all collected, all, all like all connected for me. And uh, your other other side of ties is not dance floor, but is uh, more classical music. And um, and the compositions for dance performance. One dance performance was uh, the Sleeping Beauty, 
Sleeping Beauty Dreams. Sleeping Beauty Dreams. Yes. And we will listen to Violent Desire. Yes. Can you tell us uh, something more about this project? Yeah, this was an American uh, project. Uh, it premiered in uh, New York, played in Miami, New York, and some theaters in Russia as well. It had a, a very famous uh, uh, former prima uh, ballerina at... Um, Where did she? I think Marinsky in La Scala or something. Like the huge, huge, huge uh, ballet theaters. And she was a prima there, uh, Diana Vishnova. Uh, yeah, within the ballet scene, like very famous uh, person. And she was uh, the... It, it was basically mostly her on stage. And there was uh, uh, one uh, male also lead dancer and then there was a cordoblet which is basically a chorus of uh, of background background dancers i don't know how to, how to call them i don't know what the actual words are it was a super technological uh, performance because she was motion tracked in real time and there was both uh, a huge lead wall behind her and a semi-transparent projection screen uh also behind her uh and she also went behind the projection screen but then the yeah the led walls Uh, they were like it was like 30 meters wide and six meters high in a curve and then this projection screen uh, and she was motion tracked and um, then there was like all these the story is what did she dream like she slept for what uh, 30 years or something I don't know no no like three years or three months or whatever Sleeping Beauty dreams Sleeping Beauty gets pricked by a needle or does she eat an apple <laughs> I forget. Um, I think she gets pricked by a needle, and then uh, because of a witch's curse, she goes to a very long sleep until a prince comes to kiss her. Yeah, that's right? The story. Yeah, that's the story. Yes. What does she dream of during the, these this sleep? That's that's the story, and it's a very like archetypal kind of uh, psychological archetypes, Jungian archetypes kind of story about desire she's also a girl when she goes to sleep and then she becomes a woman uh, all of these kind of uh, um, developments um, and uh, the lead visual artist was Tobias Gremler who who does amazing things he's worked a lot for Björk and he's, he's like I don't know you should see his work it's it's very cool but he he uh, developed these 3d models that were then in real time uh, from her motion uh, capture suit. So she was dancing around the stage and then there was she was wearing a motion capture suit and then the 3D model behind her would be in real time also uh, uh, going through the same motions that she was. It was, it was a huge, hugely ambitious project and uh, I think it was very successful. It's beautiful. It's a great experience, and uh, yeah, I got to write like I think I, I wrote like two hours of music for it, and then I compiled like the 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 
stuff that I thought fitted on an album, I put that on on this uh, album as like my studio version of this performance. Okay, was it you haven't performed it live during a, the a dance performance? No, no, no. This was okay. uh, no the other one, the Tetris Mon Amour. Yeah, the other the dance. One? And I did also did Mechanical Ecstasy, uh, also with Cl Club Guy and Roni. Th those were performed live by uh, musicians, and they were written to be performed live. Sleeping Beauty Dreams was uh, written to be like a tape, and all the all the visual uh, uh, elements were live, but the music was uh, it was like twenty. What was it? Thirty-two channel surround. So it was it was really like ambitious as well in the sound. Very cool, but it was not played live. So uh, how do you produce uh, if you if it has to be played live? Is, what's what's different? Oh, everything is different. It's the reason I started. Uh, uh, it was the first project I produced in Ableton. Before that we used Ableton uh, for Noisia DJ sets, but not to make music in. So I was already familiar with Ableton and then um, when this project came around I knew that one of uh, the percussionists of the collective that I wrote it for... Yeah, you're talking about Tetris Monomore. Yeah, yeah, Tetris okay. Monomore, yes. One of the percussionists uh, works in Ableton himself and the previous project, which was Mechanical Ecstasy, I wrote in Cubase and then together with him, uh, we uh, rearranged it in, into Ableton so that he could perform it from his Ableton setup. And then he helped me also to rearrange Tetris to uh, in a uh, to a performance kind of uh, uh, variation, but I'd already written it in Ableton so he could uh, more easily kind of like take my sounds and make sure they work uh, for the percussionist. He wasn't playing in Tetris. Uh, this is Bink Beats, by the way. Uh, and oh. he, he played in Mechanical Ecstasy, um, but not in uh, Tetris Monomore. So he helped me rearranged the whole session file uh, into something that the percussionist could perform. Okay, um, let's move on to the next one and that is Hoddy Leeds and in a waltz. Uh, it's part of the Eccentric Circle EP. Uh, yeah, this, on your own label. Yeah, this is the first uh, first release on my own label. It's very diverse, eclectic. It's very electronic, but not very clubby. And then later on, I would re uh, I started releasing some club music. But for the first release, I really wanted to put down a marker like, "Hey, this label is me doing exactly what I want, and n like not what you expect, not what you know noisier fans would expect, like club music." Uh, I want to be able to to release anything on that label, and then this specific song is also actually something that I started uh, writing for Noisia, and that might also be in the old shit we never finished package. 
But then I was uh, talking to uh, Holly Herndon and Matt Dryerst uh, a lot, and they were developing this thing called Holly Plus, which was an, an artificial intelligence uh, program trained to interpret incoming audio signals and then give it back in a in a sound file f- how the AI thinks Holly would sing that. So the, the AI was trained purely on data of Holly's, Holly Hernan's voice and then whatever you put into it uh, you would get it back from what the AI thought her singing it would sound like. And that oh. is like all the vocals in this song are uh, uh, are from Holly Plus, and uh, they told me I was the first person outside of themselves to work with it. So that's that was very so very wh- cool. What's your opinion about using AI to make music? Is it your, uh, is it something I'm, you I'm, do? No, I'm not not currently using any uh, any soft AI software. Uh, I I'm very excited by it. I think it will be a major change, a major upset, and uh, it will be very uh, things will be very different. Um, just like when we went from uh, from vinyl to CD and from CD to kind of online MP3s, um, everything changes and changes always good. You know, uh, not for everyone. But in general, I think the music world has been a bit stagnant um, lately. Just like everyone is just perfecting what was already there. And there's some mixing of previous elements, but there's no real innovation since I would say the home computers became affordable and, and even more so when when like music software that doesn't need any expensive studio hardware, you just need you know Ableton became such high quality that you know you could do full on professional productions with just a laptop that was a major development in the world of electronic music like things really changed because of that because every, all of a sudden everyone with a laptop could make great sounding music um, since then and this is like maybe 2005 ish that it really started like I think Noisia was quite early in the late 90s to do uh, full software and it sounded like it didn't sound great um, but as we learned how to use the tech better the tech also started growing to get better and from 2005 I would say this revolution of like home home productions was well underway and since then this is almost 20 years ago we're still on that same wave and nothing super important technologically has happened until now where AI is really starting to become a realistic thing for for all kind of all kinds of uh, creative uh, spheres I think a lot of people will be replaced by AI but there will also be there will be need for um, people who know how to work with AI very well and there's a basic element of humanity uh, in in art like when I go to a concert, I want to be with humans. Like, and I want the performer, the, the 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 person to lead the ceremony. I want them. I want to know a little bit about them. I want to know a story. I want to know why I would feel certain things. That I want 
they want me to feel like uh, in a, a theatre performance or in a, a dance performance or, or just in a DJ show I need a bit of a story I need to know who who is this like you know and with an AI you never get that so I think uh, a lot of creative jobs are going to be safe uh, as long as you as as long as you tell a human story the human the, the you know the consumers are humans and they will re- relate to human things so I, I think <coughs> humanity is is going to be a necessary element for the time being uh, so yeah performance should be safe from AI a lot of production when you do like generic music work AI will delete your job 100% yeah. <laughs> I think so yeah but then but then because of all the the replaceable things are accessible to everybody people can get uh, creative on higher levels because a lot of the 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 the, the predictable work is done for you so you can way quicker do if you have cool ideas disruptive creative weird new ideas with ai it's going to be a lot easier to get cool results without doing all the boring work all the manual uh, boring work okay so there's a lot of opportunities with ai especially for uh, kids who want to start with making music it's less difficult yeah the yeah and because of that the uh, I think the average quality will go up and more people who would get stuck in the in the technique phase will make it actually into a creative uh, phase because they don't have to bother with with the boring the, the mixing the sound design is it's crucial to what I do but in the end, Everything te- technolo- almost everything technological can be uh, replaced, not in a creative way, but in a in a reproducing way. And at at this point, a lot of what I do is just repeating what I did before. Like that's my style. My style can be approximated by an AI. Um, so that's also the thing. I built that style, and an AI can never build a new style like right now what AI does is it takes examples and then it knows what makes that example typical and then it can reproduce that into a variation Uh, but it cannot say like now make something unique and amazing like it doesn't know how to do that so that the the if you have a sense of style that people know is yours, then you can even use an AI to make things in your own style. But if you don't have the story that comes with it, that people believe it's your style, like then it's gonna it's gonna sound like a a cheap version of you, and that's not attractive to humans. Yeah. Unless it's nondescript music that is in the background, like nobody needs a story for that. So then an AI can write it or not, and it's probably cheaper then to let an AI write it. Um, AI, we'll see what it turns out to be, and we go to the last tune. That's um, you've done some dump tree dump edits recently, and yeah. um, I don't think it's wise to play this one, but uh, it's an edit from Hollaback Girl from Gwen Stefani. What were you thinking <laughs> when producing this? <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I don't think it's, it's wise to put it in the podcast because the whole episode might be taken down yeah. because of copyright claims. Um, every time I heard that song, and I was very late in discovering this song, by the time by the time I was uh, this song was released, I was already out of like my most active nightlife uh, time in my life. So I was missing a lot of uh, new hip hop songs that came out because I wasn't in the clubs and I wasn't listening to that stuff anymore. So I discovered this song later. And I was always triggered when she says this shit is bananas, B-A-N-A-N-A-S. I always <laughs> wanted her to say B-A-N-A-N-A-N-A-S, like that this shit is bananas and then she spell it out wrong, like banana-nanas. So in Bali, when I, I was in Bali like uh, three weeks ago, I was talking to someone about about how good that song is. We were generally like talking about uh, guitar music, and we both loved No Doubt, like Don't Speak, but also uh, Spiderwebs. Um, uh, what is the other one? No, I can't think of the name. It's not really relevant. But then we also, I also said like, yeah, and and then she did Hollaback Girl, also great. I just wish she would have said Banana Nana Nanas, and then I was like, oh, but oh, this is the time. I'm gonna write it. So that's where I got the idea. I got the idea immediately when I heard this song. But then in Bali, I thought like, oh, I'm going to do this edit. I, I, I know what to do now. Cool. Uh, and my, yeah. my, my plan is to re... Like they're currently offline, so they might be a bit hard to find. But my plan is right now to maybe every Bandcamp Friday, just upload them again and add some new edits and then take them off yeah, on Saturday or Sunday. Put them on Bandcamp yeah. one day. Yeah, because they're not mine, so I don't want them always on my profile. Yeah. But, you know, it could be a fun thing. Like every Bandcamp Friday, I just upload them. You have 24 hours to uh, to download them. They're free if you want, or you can pay for them if you want. And then, uh, then they're off again. So there will be more dumb edits coming. I have some already, yeah. It's, and one of them isn't even dumb. It's very, it's very genuine. But uh, it will be part of the dumb edits. I like. I, I don't like. You know, in the end, most of the quality of, of these things is not me. It's the epic proportion of the thing that I'm editing. So I want to kind of play it down, like how serious I take it, because like I can't take the credit for the the success of Hollaback Girl, which I'm definitely, you know, that's what I'm using. You know, I'm stealing that success but adding my own thing but I, I don't want to make it a serious like oh this is about me thing so that's why I called it dumb it's not totally dumb but it's just to make it a bit like oh but this is you know this is not me being serious or this is not me being uh, serious about me okay. uh, that brings us close to the end of our podcast um, we've got one last segment that we ask all of our guests um, the last album on earth so you can make one last album before you leave this planet and you can choose whoever you want to make the album with uh, dead or alive your idols, musicians, producers, singers etc who would you invite and why and to end it what would, how would you name this project uh, I have two albums that I still want to write so uh, first one is I need 
before I die to go live in Spain, in the south of Spain for a bit, around Sevilla, and hang out with a lot of flamenco musicians, like at night, like into the early hours of the morning and just hang out while they play uh, flamenco music and learn how to play myself whatever instrument and as as they all dance as we all dance uh but i want to i want before i make that album i I want to live it for a while and i really want to see like the wild side of flamenco not the you know put it on the stage and uh all the white people clap at the end of the show no i want everyone in that room to be crazy with the music to really live it you know, I, I have this fantasy as well of of old, you know, when jazz jazz was born and when jazz thrived in like the 30s, 40s, 50s, it was wild. These people were on drugs, playing, composing. It was nightlife music. It was fueled by by just this energetic, you know, spirit of of just it, and musically it is revolutionary and it's intended to be and i you know i i i really like this book on the road by jack kerouac like my english teacher in high school made me super enthusiastic about it but my favorite parts are when they describe when they're in when they're in jazz nightclubs and they're just sweating and and dancing and limbs are flailing around it's like yes and that's what i still hear in the music most of jazz is like it's so wild it's so energetic the drummer is so fast the drummer is all over the place the bass player is actually keeping the beat the drummer is off the beat he's constantly around the beat that's the cool thing about jazz um, the same I have with flamenco like you know this this civilized version of it is is not it it's it's and I want to live with that culture for a bit and kind of feel like okay now it's my time to do something with it and I have the same with blues like I spent most of my teenage years obsessively listening to blues um, Muddy Waters and John Lee Hooker are two people then that I would uh, resurrect and but then again like I have such reverence for these two people like who the fuck am I to try to make music with them? Like, what the, what the fuck do I have to add? Like, they did it, you know? But those are like, yeah, those are two heroes that I would love to work with their voices. But then again, it's like, who am I? Like, whatever, let them do that thing. But I think maybe at some point, I would love to go back to my childhood love of just like obsessively listening to Muddy Waters and John Lee Hooker and make a blues record. But also for that, I would probably need to go, I don't know, I need to go live that music for a while before I would feel comfortable. Like, who am I? Who am I to to release a blues album? But then again, I'm also... A, I also think like everybody should like, especially you know, who am I? I am a, I, I am I am a boy of of fourteen who goes to the public library to discover. Uh, uh, this is before the internet to discover more <laughs> blues because I was just so curious. Like, what else is out there? Are there more styles? Can I find something that I like even more than Muddy Waters and John Lee Hooker? Well, 
answer is I, I I listened a lot and I never found anything that I liked more. So you went to the in, in the Netherlands, you go to the library uh, before internet to rent CDs. You rented CDs. Rent and CDs, yeah. yeah. And then at some point I could also copy them. That was great. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this was before downloading was uh, was really a thing. And, and then in very early days of downloading, it was still quite expensive on a modem to be connected to the internet. And it was so slow that you could just only... People would really uh, compress these audio files to really small sizes so you could send them, but then they sounded so terrible. So for actual music, I would go to the public library. And also drum and bass. Like I remember having Ed Rush and Optical Wormhole, the CD, in my hands in the public li library. And Rhyme Trilogy, Molten Beats, like some of the most influential drum and bass albums we heard first, not on a dance floor, because early days Noisia, we weren't going to clubs at all. We didn't even know that the Groningen had uh, a drum and bass monthly show. We didn't know. We were completely living in parallel of the rest of the drum and bass world, just downloading stuff from the internet later and public library getting our hands on like this incredibly sickly produced music that made us obsessed with like, okay, 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 okay. This is what, you know, if, if we want to do music, this is what we're going to do. But yeah, public library. Public library. So, conclusion, you want, uh, before you die, you want to make a flamenco album and a blues album. And for that, you want to live in Sevilla. And for the blues album, you want to live somewhere in the States. Oh. Yeah, she, probably Chicago, because that's where both uh, both John Lee Hooker and Muddy Waters spent a lot of time uh, living in Chicago. And yeah, the, the Chicago blues sound is like Muddy Waters was the person who who developed a lot of it. And he, he in his early days, used to play harmonica. So he also really, I love, I love blues harmonica. I've, I've won okay, right here. Yeah, can you play the, the blues no. harmonica? No, no? I, I, no, no. But if I write this album, there's going to be a lot of harmonica on it. Okay. Um, <laughs> But he really developed the sound of the distorted guitar, um, the distorted harmonica, like playing harmonica through it with a mic plugged into a, a, a guitar amp, completely distor distorting the speaker, then putting a microphone in front of that speaker, recording that sound and putting it that sound into clean speakers or onto a record. Uh, that was all developed mostly in Chicago. Uh, Mostly by the engineers of Chess Records, as, as far as I uh, understand, uh, and Domino, or no, am I getting it right? Anyway, yeah, like besides being my one of my two favorite vocalists, like Muddy Waters was also very influential in developing the sound of uh, distorted Chicago blues, which is then also what. Uh, the Rolling Stones and Eric Clapton were like, that really caught their ear. Uh, and the white bee, the rock and roll people, bringing that sound into Europe was then like, of course, like super important for, for the history of, uh, of, of European music um, after that. Like the Beatles, Rolling Stones uh, getting super inspired by blues music. Like Rolling Stones have, have been on the re record many times. Like we just wanted to be uh, 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 a blues band 
and the, and their out the their their artist name is actually named after a Muddy Waters record, the Rolling oh. Stone. No. Uh, Dice, I think uh, this yeah, is Yeah, we're the, already over time. Over time. Uh, we're at the end of the podcast. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, your EP, Shoulder to Shoulders, coming out on the 30th of March. A uh, day later, on the 31st, we have our curated by Vision Party at Melkweg with Thijs Imanu, more Kismet's first performance in the Netherlands. Uh, we have yes. Rohan, Jarrowfield, and Deeds. Um, oh, Deeds is actually when I was talking about some uh, uh, the someone who joined All Horde Crew, who I asked about Addison Groove. I was yeah. talking to her because she just oh, joined All Horde Crew, and she was yeah she was at the when I played uh, Thijs back to back Skrillex in Oost. <laughs> See how it all ties together. <laughs> she plays in Oost a lot, but she was also. I recently got a pictures from Farad, our photographer. Uh, from that show and she was on the first row with a beer in her hand so great okay and she's playing in Amsterdam for us I'm really she's, happy about uh, that uh, yeah she's the first to play the night on the 31st and uh, there are still tickets available you can check our link in the bio for a ticket link or go to melkweg.nl and yeah uh, your EP is will be released on all platforms and also on vinyl or only digital. Uh, we're we're going to try a vinyl campaign on Bandcamp. And if enough people sign in with, I think we the campaign goes for a month or so. And then if enough people sign in there, we will get it printed on vinyl. Okay. So am I the so, first yes. one to sign it in? Is, <laughs> it is being released on vinyl. The I don't know when the pre-sales go live, but uh, I will be very loud on social media and Vision will be too when uh, all of that starts happening. Yeah, and Jaap, the label manager of Vision, he told me there will be merch available at our night at Melkweg on the 21st of March. Your special shoulder-to-shoulder Thijs merch. If you want to have it, come to Amsterdam, come to the Melkweg. Thank you, Thijs. See you you on the 31st. Thanks. Bye-bye. Ciao. Bye-bye. You're tuned in to the Curated by Podcasts.